Welcome to an audio newspaper full of very unserious, partially real stories that the world needs to hear. More listening and less reading than a newspaper, but equally as sexy. This is Paper News Out Loud. Hello and good evening. I'm your host, Diane Hammerhead Weathersby. Hello and good morning. I'm your co-host, Florence Stromsby. Thank you for listening to Paper News Out Loud. Did you know that there's a cool show called Moving Art on Netflix that has no words, but is just really cool videos of nature with great music in the background? It has provided me with the inspiration for my new middle name, plastic surgery, and body, specifically head, modifications I intend to get later this month. I think this is a good look for your UFC career, since you've been trying to get that off the ground for a while now. Your opponents will be too terrified to look at you. Um, what animal slash part of nature inspired this new look? It was the ocean, and specifically, the hammerhead shark. The moment I really identified with it was when you pointed at the screen and said, Hey, you're on TV. I knew I was looking at my true kin. I'm sure it's because of your graceful swimming movement and unquenchable appetite for fish. I'm truly a wonder to behold. So what do groundhogs and hammerheads, hammerhead sharks specifically, not just regular hammerheads, have in common? Literally the only thing I can think of is that their names are both compound words. Let's dive into our headline. Happy Groundhog's Day, Diane. Groundhogs, as everyone knows, will one day evolve to rule the world. When groundhog historians look back in time using technology that vastly surpasses their own, they will find that their reign actually began on Groundhog's Day. While it was a slow process, they did eventually overtake our forces in a world-renowned battle in South Dakota. But that's the future. Let's focus on the past. Diane, would you like to tell us a thing or two about how Groundhog's Day started? Think back to 1887 a time before internet or reliable weather prediction technology. Back in the days of old, groundhogs were relied upon for accurate weather information. They were the first meteorologists, and there were special schools devoted to teaching these little creatures how to read patterns in the clouds and measure atmospheric pressure. That's not entirely true. Groundhogs didn't need to take classes. If there was one thing they were naturally good at, It was knowing when winter was going to end. The tradition states that when a groundhog leaves its hibernation hole and sees its shadow, there will be six more weeks of winter. If it does not see its shadow, we will see an early spring. This tradition actually has roots in a Christian holiday called Candlemas. Candlemas sounds incredibly magical and whimsical, so I actually read not one, but two more articles about this holiday that I had no idea existed. So Candlemas symbolizes a day of the ritual purification of Mary, mother of Jesus. What is ritual purification? And why is it necessary, you may ask? There was a Jewish tradition that women were unclean after having a child and had to be purified at a temple or a synagogue. In the meantime, before they were purified, They were not allowed to go to worship. They needed to wait 40 days to be purified if they had a boy and 60 days if they had a girl. The day is also celebrated as a ritual presentation of baby Jesus to God in the temple at Jerusalem. So the reason this festival is called Candlemas 
is because that is the day the church would bless all the candles that would be used for the year, and people would place candles in their windows at night as well. Now, do you think the people who placed candles in their windows at night were not allowed to use candles any other day of the year? Were they not? Okay, I'm going to rephrase that. Were they not allowed to put candles in windows any other day of the year? That may have been special to Candlemas. Okay. They might have just had to put them in other places, like not windows. Like not windows. doorways. To keep the light trapped inside. Exactly. (laughs) But wait, there's more. This festival actually stems from a pre-Christian or pagan holiday, like some other holidays, including Christmas do. It used to be called the Festival of Light, which also sounds wonderfully whimsical. There's been a lot written about February 2nd, and the ways it was celebrated that I found very interesting, but I don't feel equipped enough to relay all that information to you. There are other superstitions that are attributed to the festival, but the one that births Groundhog's Day relates to the weather on Candlemas. If the weather is good, then winter will be longer, which seems almost backwards. And if the weather is rainy, then winter is almost over. So if it's like a rainy, cloudy day on Candlemas Day, Mm -hmm. then winter's almost done. Okay. I guess that's like a sign of spring coming that you're getting rain instead of snow. I don't know. If it's snowy, then what does that mean? <laughs> it's all up in all the All hope is lost. <laughs> Germans eventually took this concept of the um, weather prediction on February 2nd, um, but they used hedgehogs to predict the weather. So I love hedgehogs, and I think they are in many ways superior to the groundhog. But when Germans migrate ac- migrated across the pond from Europe to North America, and settled in Pennsylvania, groundhogs were more abundant and up to the weather predicting task. So what makes groundhogs good at weather prediction? Like, they're just furry, less cute squirrels. Just kidding, they're more cute. But anyway, I digress. They're genetically predisposed to weather prediction, actually. Um, It's because they eat so many fruits and vegetables, and that's what makes them healthy. Uh, They go into hibernation in late fall, which is actually just a clever way to disguise the fact that they are actually meditating and communing with the weather gods and goddesses. They whistle when they are frightened or looking for a mate, which seems confusing, but I guess it's distinguishable to groundhogs. So, okay, let's go back to 1887. A Pennsylvania groundhog club. Yes, there was a groundhog club. And actually, they, I think they still exist to this day. And there's a name for them. But it's very long, and I don't know how to say it, and maybe you do. So send me the phonetic pronunciation so I can know it for the future. And also, if you're a member of this Groundhog Club, please send me information about joining. Thank you. I would love to do an interview with you. So anyway, so this Groundhog Club declared that their groundhog, Phil, was the one true weather-predicting groundhog. So this was determined by the enlightened look in Phil's eyes an ethereal glow and angelic hum that erupted when he appeared above ground, and his ability to speak in tongues to the weather deities. All other groundhogs were considered shams, but were still looked to by some for winter weather advice. The groundhog Phil has reproduced asexually ever since his awakening and is still the same groundhog soul that we rely on to this day. This year, Phil spoke to the deities, and the deities cast a shadow upon him, signifying six more weeks of dreaded winter. Praise to the deities for passing the sweet knowledge onto us through an enlightened groundhog. 
So do you think that's why it's negative 13 degrees outside right now? Thanks for nothing, Phil. Quite possibly. Someone has angered the weather deities. So I am grateful that we have such wonderful animals on this beautiful earth that are blessed with such extreme but limited powers. What other animals would you like to celebrate or glean knowledge from throughout the year? Okay, first one that pops to mind, National Spider Appreciation Day. While this celebration will be controversial at first due to the severe and everlasting dislike of spiders, it's time that respect is paid where respect is due. It is celebrated by filling a glass tank with all the mosquitoes that would be alive if it weren't for spiders. Humans that are fond of squishing spiders are then called before the spider overlords and forced to sit inside of the tank. Well, the spiders who secretly live in their pillowcases and have avoided death this long look from their thrones above. Then the spiders chuckle and wave their eight legs in pleasure as their victims are overcome by mosquito bites. While this seems like a whimsical and fun holiday, it might be just another way that spiders are trying to weasel their way into local government and then world domination. As with any spider-related festivity, be careful and wear aluminum foil on your head just to protect your, um, your delicate human brain. Wow, if this is enacted, I have a lot of retribution coming my way. <laughs> so much. Spider murderer. I would like to see the calls of the crow tradition started. So crows are known for being intelligent, but did you know that they can predict up to 24 hours into the future? You just haven't been listening to what they've been saying at 2 o'clock in the morning local time. I would like to start a tradition where every night at 2 a.m. you can call upon your local crows to call your fortune to you through your open window. This will help everyone better prepare for their day and be proactive instead of reactive. The crows will regain a sense of purpose and belonging to human society. One caveat to this is that crows require a lot of macaroni and cheese to summon their psychic powers, so humans will have to limit themselves to only three servings a week to save enough for our winged friends. Okay, so, as we've learned earlier, there's a lot of masses. Candle mass, candle mass, candle mass, candle mass. That's how I pronounce it, because we say Christmas, Christmas. Maybe it is candle mass, and I said it completely wrong, whatever. Christmas. It's over now. (laughs) Miss this, miss that, mass this, mass that, who knows? Why not make a mass miss in early April that's fun for the whole family? Fish miss. No fish are consumed on this holiday. Instead, everyone goes out and cleans up local waterways and beaches. Guess what, my dudes? Fish don't like living in our nasty garbage, much like you wouldn't like living in your neighbor's nasty garbage. Not only is this holiday fun for the whole family because you get to make the world a better place, but you could also possibly meet Tom the Trout, the friendly talking fish that sometimes bumps into families who clean up riverways. If you can answer his riddle, you could possibly be granted a wish. Wow. Speaking of being environmentally conscious, which is something we can all improve upon, it's time to fully appreciate the monarch butterfly and the monarch butterfly appreciation extravaganza holiday that I have planned. The migration patterns of the North American monarch butterfly have been tracked and well documented because it is incredibly interesting and unique. The monarch butterfly has also seen a decline in their population in recent years. Once a year, perhaps on March 4th, 
Everyone is required to honor the life and migration of the butterfly by mimicking the entire process over a 24-hour period. At 6 a.m. on March 4th, everyone rises and participates in a local 5K run if they are able to, in order to symbolize the migration north at the end of hibernation. Then, everyone wraps themselves tightly in a ball of saran wrap and jelly. After four hours, they emerge. This symbolizes the egg hatching. Then they eat salads for one full hour and climb a tree to build a chrysalis out of blankets and butter. This symbolizes a transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. While within the chrysalis, they must fashion an elaborately decorated monarch butterfly costume. After 10 hours, they emerge once more. Everyone changes into their costumes and pretends to fly around for the remaining hours. This event will help communities understand the life cycle of the butterfly and help them find the beautiful butterfly within. Plus, an, an untalked about benefit is just imagine the, the like moisturizing effects the butter would have on your skin after you're wrapped in it for 10 hours. And the community bonding. A lot of community bonding. <laughs> They would need to plant a lot more trees in their community just to accommodate the amount of people that need to scale them and build a butter cuckoo. <laughs> more environmentally conscious. And I think, too, an important part of this festival would be planting milkweed. Mmm, milkweed. Tasty for <laughs> butterflies as well as humans. <laughs> okay. Another important holiday that we should be celebrating is Duck Day. Honestly, I'm not sure why we don't celebrate this currently. As you know, ducks are excellent predictors of who will win March Madness for college basketball. Every year at the beginning of March, avid basketball and duck fans would coat themselves in breadcrumbs and lay prone in the nearest duck pond. Their hope is that a duck will come and munch on the breadcrumbs on their body. If they're really lucky, one of those ducks will come and whisper their bracket picks from March Madness and slowly slide a 20 into your back pocket. This is a sign that you should place a bet on the bracket. If they don't share their secrets with you, they might act out skits as a show of appreciation for the snacks. At the very least, they won't poo on you. Go duck day. That would be good for all the extra breadcrumbs that I have. <laughs> They've been piling. I don't know what to do with them. One can only make so many casseroles. <laughs> you just buy breadcrumbs like the day old bread because it's such a good deal and then just pulverize it until it's crumbs in stress relief efforts, and then you just dump them in a corner of your house. Mm-hmm. That is what I do, yes. Longtime listeners of our second secret podcast that is spoken in Thieves Can't, a coded language only members of the Thieves Guild understand, during this very podcast know that we have been planning an interview for this week. Please welcome Orville Redenbacher to the studio. Thank you for joining us, Orville. Unfortunately, due to the previous engagement of being dead as of 1995, he could not actually be with us here today. But I'd like to think he can still hear our questions and will transmit his answers to us in our dreams later. I know Orville will provide us with a lot of answers, but here's some brief background knowledge about him. He was born in Indiana, so that helps explain his interest in popcorn, and I'm sure by extension, corn itself. He grew up on a corn farm and was active in his community's 4-H organization. He went to school to study agronomy and from there went on to reinvent the popping corn by creating a new hybrid corn. But I'll let Orville do the talking from here on out. Indeed we shall. Florence, would you like the honor of asking our guests the first question? 
I'd be delighted to. So Orval, what made you choose corn as your horticulture muse? I'm sure that answer will be fascinating. My question is as follows. Did you imagine that the popcorn industry would take off and evolve in the ways that it did? Specifically, popping machines and special seasonings? Mm -hmm. I feel that answer in my soul. Orville Redenbacher is an incredibly interesting conversationalist. Here's my next question. What's your favorite popcorn topping? Personally, I enjoy some white cheddar seasoning or mixing in M&Ms with some classic salt and butter popcorn. Mm, yes, the white cheddar seasoning is good and there's such good ranch seasoning too. Mm. My next question is thus. What is your foolproof way for getting popcorn kernels out of your teeth? I imagine that you've eaten a lot of popcorn in your testing phases and throughout your life and that you have some very unique ways to either prevent or get rid of those nasty popcorn kernels that just lodge themselves right in your gums. I'm feeling sleepy already in anticipation of the dream answers. Since you are and have always been clairvoyant, what is the next big thing that is going to happen in the popcorn industry? Oh, I'm dying to know. That's, oh, I'm very excited. Your dreams are going to be wildly vivid tonight. <laughs> no more than usual, Florence. One question that has always plagued me has been about your process. I know you did not invent popcorn, even though you did revolutionize the industry. Did you try to pop other vegetables before you finally decided corn had the best results? What was that process like? I imagine Orville will respond with a few clever word puns, and I'm looking forward to receiving that at around 2 a.m. this morning. All right, Orville, final question. Do you have any advice for up-and-coming foodsmiths? Truly fascinating. This has been a roller coaster. Um, we would just like to thank Orville again for joining us later in our dreams tonight. And just remember, listeners, if you wake with a subtle taste of buttered popcorn in your mouth, that means Orville visited you too. Just remember to keep a notebook on your nightstand so you can hastily jot the answers down when you first awake. I intend to leave a bowl of freshly popped and buttered popcorn under my pillow as an offering to Orville and a thank you for his knowledge. Dear listener, you know we are committed to providing you with happiness and enjoyment. We made an agreement with a tree spider that we would do just that, and here we are to deliver. You may remember Eamon from last week's Community Art. This week we have another submission from him in the form of an ad for his show. I'm going to let him and his co-host Zeb take over right now. You're out with friends in an undisclosed location enjoying some kind of beverage. You look around and you notice that, one by one, each friend is disappearing. When they disappear, you can't remember their faces and you lose all memory of them. Finally, you're just left with these two friends, but you've never met them before. It's Eamon and Zeb from the But Yeah podcast. Your new friends that you've known forever. They like to talk. They tell you things. They ask you things. Strange things. What should you wear with your third brown shoe? What organ of the body produces kindness? Or smelt. What if the bicentennial man enslaved his old robot body? What if you could get three meats in one tub, like Neapolitan ice cream? Can you vape a ship into a bottle? As the night wears on, you find your head is refilled with knowledge. New and better knowledge. Messy, convoluted and confusing. Soon, Eamon and Zeb are gone too, and you're alone. Disembodied in a room with just your thoughts and everything you learned on the But Yeah podcast.
Now on Apple Podcasts or whoever you get your podcasts from at a 3am roadside vegetable stand. Today, there was a smudge on the mirror. I got some Windex and tried to clean it, but this smudge just became bigger and bigger until it became another void, but a temporary void. A paper airplane flew out, and as it landed, the void sealed. The paper airplane read. Dear Florence and Diane, Help! I was working on some simple magical spells, and I accidentally turned my three children into cast iron skillets. They're sentient and communicate with me, but I have no idea how to care for them now that they're not human. I'm looking into a spell to change them back, but in the meantime, how in the world do I take care of these things? Sincerely, S-O-L, skillets out of luck. Yikes. Use this as a lesson, listeners, to never use spells to increase calcium intake in young humans. This is a very common side effect. While you're trying to find a way to change them back, we reached out to WikiHow to help us help you. First, what you should know is that cast iron skillets aren't like other pans or children. First and foremost, they are immortal. If properly cared for, they can literally last a lifetime. This might lead to the children's skillets experiencing deep feelings of fear and terror, or maybe having existential crises as they realize their infinite lives. Comfort them during these times. Remind them that they have each other and that you'll find a way to change them back. Introduce them to complex topics in philosophy. Have them listen to the podcast, Philosophize This. They're going to have existential crises anyway, so they might as well find a school of thought to comfort them and frame their existential terror. And they might have gotten used to the idea that they're immortal, so once you change them back, that existential dread and terror is going to set in even deeper. Once you've taken care of their emotional and mental needs, it's time to take care of their physical needs. Care for your children slash skillets starts with washing. Wash the skillet after each use. I'm going to assume that you don't use your children for cooking purposes because that would be a little strange, but just to be safe, make sure you properly wash them once a day. No, you can't just put them in the dishwasher even if they insist that it'll be cool. Use gentle soaps and soft cloths to wash them. You really don't even have to use soap on a cast iron skillet. You can literally rinse it out with water. Cast iron is amazing. It is truly amazing. Let's say they did have some built-up food. They have to eat somehow. Maybe they eat by you baking casseroles in them. Regardless, a safe and kid-friendly way to get rid of caked-on food is to use a mixture of salt and vinegar. Use a towel to rub the gritty mixture over the baked-on food. This is safe for the skillet and makes cleaning easier. Never use a steel scratch pad. You will permanently scratch your children. Dry the skillets thoroughly. You dry your children thoroughly. This should seem like second nature. I know children are technically 70% water, but that's on the inside. <laughs> not the outside. Your skillet should not be 70% water or wet for any length of time. Finally, store them in a dry place. Maybe your children are used to spending time in the jungle. Do not let your skillet children spend time in the jungle. It's too humid for them, and then the moisture could negatively affect their cast iron bodies. All right, so since your children just became skillets recently, you'll have to season them. Not on the way you think you're not going to eat them. Start by preheating the oven to 350 degrees. No worries, they're cast iron now, so the experience will be similar to relaxing in the sauna. Then you'll want to wash and dry them as described earlier. Coat the skillets with fat. 
I know for a fact that kiddos are going to love this one. Simply put some oil like olive oil or vegetable shortening on a paper towel and coat the inside of the pan. This might tickle the little ones a little bit, but it definitely won't be painful. Also, if you don't have any lard or oils on hand, you can just rub a couple Happy Meals over the skillets. It'll work all the same. Once they're all nice and fattened up, bake them for two hours. Like I said before, the process will be cozy and completely safe for them. If you're worried about them getting bored while in the oven, set up a TV with a movie um, playing on it in front of the oven glass to keep them entertained. Repeat the process one more time. This will protect them from the dangers they could face as an iron skillet. Okay, let's say hypothetically you did all this, but you're not having any luck finding the spell to reverse the original spell, the spell that turned them into skillets. And gasp, you notice that Tommy has a small spot of rust on his handle. What do you do? For starters, soak the skillet in a half-white vinegar, half-water solution for at least three hours. This will not be fun for the kiddos. It will be similar to if you sat in a bathtub of vinegar for three hours. Maybe play them some music so that they stay relaxed. After the soak is done, you can buff out any rust spots that you see. Rinse dry and re-season as described earlier. Then there are some questions that the WikiHow can't answer, specifically around how to parent a set of skillets. While I've never parented anything, and to speak frankly, I can't even parent myself, I think we have some tips that could help you. One, give them each their own cupboard. This will help avoid fights and give them a chance to customize their space to match their personalities. Two, do not send them to public school. Have you been to public school as a regular human? It's terrible. Just imagine that, but now you're a cast iron skillet who can't catch a ball in gym class. Look into homeschooling or private school that's accepting of children that are different objects. Let them ask questions about their current state and accept that you played a role in the fact that they don't have toes. Sure, they might be angry, but can you blame them? Just let them know you're sorry and listen to their concerns. And really, are there even any helpful tips for parenting? You'll just have to wing it like everybody else, probably. We hope that you get your own flesh children back instead of your iron children. Flesh children are easier to hug. Hey, Florence. Yeah? Can you pull this train into the motivation station? Choo-choo. Okay. We all fail sometimes. Just like skillets out of luck failed at that spell. <laughs> The whole world isn't goody gumdrops and smiling, frolicking kittens. Once in a while, we fail. We fail hard. We fail so hard that we actually create a rift in time that extends over all versions of yourself through different dimensions. Your failure is everywhere. How do you bounce back from moments when you just aren't successful? Mary Pickford said, This thing we call failure is not the falling down, but the staying down. When I feel like I am failing at something, I literally lay down on the ground to ensure that I completely fail. I'm not going to fail at failing by not completely failing. Then I lay there wrapped in a variety of soft, comfy blankets with pillows piled on my face to absorb my tears for three to seven days, listening to sad music and binging my favorite TV shows and podcasts all at the same time until my thoughts cannot be separated from the cacophony of all my favorite things. Once I'm no longer thinking my own original thoughts and have separated myself for a length of time from the source of my failure, I am ready to rise again, like a trampled flower to reach toward the sun and try to bloom. Remember kids, 
Failure is a part of life, and to exist is to suffer, so choose things that are worth failing for and give yourself time to heal within the heat of 1,000 blankets. Whenever I really botch something, which is relatively frequently, I always turn to my quotes board on Pinterest. I just like to save sayings that pick me up when I'm down. But anyways, I pull some of my favorite quotes off of the site and I repeatedly write them over my body with Sharpie until I'm literally covered with positive sayings and positive energy. Granted, the fumes are terrible and sometimes make me hallucinate, but it really helps me remember that even though I failed this one time at this one thing, that doesn't mean I'll fail at everything forever for the rest of my life unless I do, which is a possibility. The words really fuel me. Our challenge for you this week is to fail at something. It could be a big thing or a small thing. And find a pick-me-up to remind yourself just how awesome you actually are. Today at work, my email inbox imploded, creating a small black hole that sucked up all my pens and pencils. I didn't feel bad because little did the black hole know, but I actually used crudely sharpened coal to write. With my coal, I wrote a negative review for the black hole and posted it on Yelp. That's a telltale sign that the podcast is coming to an end. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to what we had to say. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Paper News Out Loud for more great episodes. If you like what you heard a lot, leave us a review on iTunes saying what you liked. Don't forget to make an acronym out of your name. It has to describe your personality, favorite vegetable, and the smell in your home. If you're in love with what you heard, create an interpretive dance to the sound of our voices and record it for your local morning news. We will be giving shoutouts to people who talk to us through reviews, emails, or cryptic hand signals in traffic. Please rate and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Brown Cows for Chocolate Milk. I also want to thank Jake Harrison for allowing us to use his track titled Five off of his album Found on SoundCloud. Thanks, Jake. You can find his music through the link or by searching at this. Dear listeners, we are looking to showcase community art in our segment, Creatively Named Community Art. You can submit short poems or visual art to us through email at alternaterealityproductions at gmail.com. Or you can email us just to say hi or pictures of your cat or a link to your favorite YouTube video, whatever you want. Or I suppose you could tell us what you liked about the show, which would be helpful and productive. Tweet us at Reality Out Loud. Share with your friends. Retweet things we tweet. Tweet her away. Florence has started communicating with a local astronomer to give us horoscopes every week, and she has so kindly and graciously decided to provide them to you all through the Twitter. Mm -hmm. So check that out before you make any plans. We hope you learned a thing and made a laugh.